John chapter 10 and verse 10. I want to read one verse of scripture to you today, John 10 and 10. Thank you, praise team. Such beautiful singing this morning. Y'all made my heart happy. I was in my office. And I heard the drums kick off. I said, well, if they were sleeping, they're awake now. <laughs> Welcome to Pentecost on Sunday morning. Praise God. Praise the Lord. John chapter 10 and verse number 10. I came to expose some things today. I've come to expose the enemy of your soul in this house. The scripture said, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come. How many of you have a Bible open right now? Is this red letters in your Bible? Who's talking to us? He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief is coming to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I'm glad that the word of God always trumps the enemy's plans for my life. Praise God. You may be seated this morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's time to take it back. Now, I'm going to tell you all a little story this morning. I hope you still love me when I'm done. Hold me in high regard. I want to tell you a little story. You guys didn't know that I was a gangster thug. My dad was preaching revival in Chicago. And uh, for some crazy reason, we thought it was a good idea to pull our travel trailer into the church parking lot and stay there. We went through the normal routine that we always go through, hooked the travel trailer up, took our bicycles out of the back of the pickup truck. Like, that was our whole world. Like, that was it. It was a 35-foot-long by 8-feet-wide trailer, no slide-outs. It was probably 13,000 pounds and no tip-outs on it at all. It was big. 35 feet long, 8 feet wide, nomad. Our bicycles were in the bed of the truck, and the dad would take them out, put them under the fifth wheel hitch in the front. I was in the trailer, and I opened the door. Do you remember this? You do? I opened the door of the trailer, and there was this little short punk that had taken my bicycle from underneath the trailer. And he was walking down the street with my bicycle. Man, I was frustrated. You have to understand, evangelist kids had bicycles. That's it. Like, I didn't have no Game Boy. I didn't, I didn't have no TV in that trailer to sit down and play. I didn't have Nintendo. I didn't have nothing. I had a bike. And it was the nicest spray-painted Huffy you've ever seen in your life. And I'll be honest with you, I was ticked. And um, you young people, make sure I'm saying this right. I don't want to throw shade. But I, I looked up, and this young, this young boy was walking off. Was, uh, he was a young Hispanic kid. He was 
walking off. There's a big apartment complex behind where we were staying, the kids everywhere. And I looked up, and this little boy was walking down the street with my bicycle. I wasn't real happy about that. And so I jumped out the trailer and I said, hey! And I took off running after him. I said, that's my bicycle! He stopped me, turned around and looked at me just as I ran up to the bike. And the little coward, when I reached down and grabbed hold of the bike where my hands weren't up, he goes, boom! Punched me right in the nose. And then he turned around and took off running as fast as he could. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? I came to get my bike back. I've got my hands on what belongs to me. I didn't come for a, a fight. I didn't come to throw nubs with somebody. I didn't come to knock somebody out. I came to get what belonged to me. When I got back to the trailer, I realized my face hurt a little bit. Maybe had a little blood coming out of my nose. It was worth the pain to get what rightfully belonged to me. And I came this morning to tell you that the thief has been trying to steal from you. But somebody needs to square up your shoulders on this Sunday morning and say, I came to this house this morning to get what belongs to me. It took some guts to go after it. I didn't know if that kid was going to shank me. I didn't know if he was going to box my brains out. I didn't know what he was going to do. But I knew one thing. I wanted my bike back. And it belonged to me. And I paid the price for that. And I wasn't going to let somebody walk away if I had anything to do with it. And some of you today just need to get a little gut in you. You need to get some audacity. You need to get some spiritual fortitude in you. And just tell the devil, I'm tired of it. I'm finished with it. You're not doing it anymore. I'm coming after it. It belongs to me. Nothing wrong with that. Now, not every story ends like that because then we came to Bloomington, Indiana to preach. Same pickup, same trailer, same bicycle, and we weren't there. And while I was gone, some turd got in my dad's truck and stole my bicycle. And I was upset. And I made up my mind that day. Not every story ends like that, but thank God. Bicycles can be replaced. And as much as you hate loss and as much as you hate the inconvenience of it, you have to realize that sometimes things happen. However, in the spiritual realm, I want you to know that there has been a kind of stealing that's been going on in this church and in your lives. Satan has been busy ripping things off that are by far more important than bicycles. By far more important than cars and houses. Satan is in the business of ripping you off. And you need to know that today. He's a sorry, low-down, good-for-nothing sucker that can't tell the truth. And he wants to rob you blind today. 
He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your contentment. He wants to make you believe there's greener grass somewhere else in your life. He wants to make you believe that there is no peace for you. But I've come to declare to you this morning, you've got power over the thief. Why is he doing this to me, Pastor? Well, probably because you're trying to do the right thing. Some of you were living your little old sweet life, came to the Lord, got baptized in Jesus' name, and all you know what broke loose in your life. And I can say that literally. When you try to do good, everything he can break loose, he's going to break loose. Everything he can send to you, he's going to send to you. Every distraction he can send to you, he's going to send to you. Everything, every person, are you hearing me today? Every person that he can send to you. And he knows how to do it at the right time. And people use the right words and say just the right thing on just the wrong day. I'm going to preach deep to you right here, okay? Satan doesn't want your bicycle. He don't want your house. He doesn't live in a house. He doesn't need your vehicle. He has other modes of transportation. He has no interest in your clothing. He is a spirit being. He does not care about your investments. What good would money be to him? It don't mean anything to him. He is not interested in your physical living. He is interested in your spiritual treasures. He wants everything in your life that you would lay up where moth and rust doth not corrupt. He wants your Holy Ghost. He wants your joy. He wants your peace. He wants it right now. Satan's not after the temporal. He wants the things that have value to God and have eternal significance in your life. He loves snatching up men and women off of the streets uh, in this city and, and the surrounding cities and in this region and in this county. He loves to snatch people up off of the street. People that are full of potential. People that are full of power and simply turning them into glassy-eyed wanderers who have no clue what they're doing in life, where they're going in life, what value they have to life they take takes all the goals away from them and they lay in bed at night looking up at the ceiling saying to themselves what's the point am i just here to make another dollar am i just here to work until i'm 60 am i just here to have kids why do i exist and the enemy begins to rob them blind of their potential because he's come and he has thieved from them and stolen from them their identity and made them believe that they have no value and he knows how to send people in their lives to tell them that they are worthless and they bring no value to the table but i want to tell you this morning that that thief has come to steal kill and destroy but there is a God that has come for you today that you might have abundant life people don't know why they're alive they have no clue that's exactly and I, again I don't want to get lost in a bunch of garbage this morning 
That's exactly why we're dealing with the kind of people we're dealing with in this society. You ask them why they exist, they have no plan for their life. There's no five-year plan, no 10-year plan, no 20-year plan. They have no plans for their life. I know we say it like a joke all the time. It's a real deal. People are 35, 40 years old living in their parents' basement playing games until the middle of the night. They don't care if they ever get past the front door. And I'm not, please understand, I'm not throwing shade at, at this job. They don't care if they ever get past the front door of being at uh, uh, Walmart or at Hardee's or McDonald's. or they, it, it, it doesn't matter. To it's like as long as they've got enough for today. Because they don't live for tomorrow. And you, you know, I'm probably going to get in some deep hot water right here. But the reason this city is in the mess it's in is because people put faith in the man. They didn't have to plan for their future. They got out of high school, went and got them a job at one of these plants, made decent money. And when all that infrastructure was ripped away, there was no hope left in this city. You could come out at 18 years old and make $30 an hour with no education but high school. And that was never enough. So they started fussing with people and saying, we deserve better. We deserve better. We deserve better. And then your cars got more expensive. We had some workers on this job here working for this church. And they were governed by a certain group of people that look over job sites and things like that. And... This little rain cloud, beautiful sunshiny day, this little rain cloud came over this property. Bishop can tell you, I'm telling the truth. One little dark cloud came over. I bet you it wasn't a mile big. It sprinkled three drops of rain on their windshield within a six-inch circle. They walked up, measured it on their windshield, circled it, packed up their tools, and went home for the day. So where are you going? They said, our book says if there's more than three drops of rain on the windshield in a six-inch circle, we can go home. And we wonder why people have no purpose in their life. It's because we've been empowered to help everybody else do their deal. And at the end of our life, whatever happens is what happens. Listen to pastor when I tell you this morning, God created you for more than just existing in this world. That's why people turn to drugs and alcohol. Because they have no clue why they're alive. Others turn to other addictions like career achievement. Pleasure. Materialism. And it's just as addicting as drugs are. Because their house is never big enough. Their car is never nice enough. Their clothing's never good enough. And they are addicted to being not better, but just better than you. And it's a sin sickness that gets a hold of us. We have no goal from day to day except for just doing whatever we have to do to fill the void in our lives. And most of the time, it's temporary. Because they live outside of their means. And when the economy crashes, they can't recover. Isn't it funny how you start preaching about Great things and people get excited. You start dealing with real life and people are like, what? I want to tell you this morning. I am so thankful that I don't have to, I don't have to drive a 1978 Pinto. 
I'm thankful that I don't have to right now. But if I did, I'd rather drive that car and be happy and be saved. Then I would to, listen, God has blessed the people of this church. I don't care what people tell you, Pentecost isn't stuck on the other side of the tracks. We got some first class people in this church and in the church world. People that have done well for themselves. People that drive nice cars, live in nice houses. You don't have to be ashamed anywhere you go. But we can never lose sight. That is not what defines us. We are not defined by what we have. We are not defined by what we drive. And just because it fills a void for you today doesn't mean that you're complete. It was in the letter to the Colossians that the scripture said that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. There's only one way for you to be complete in this life and you are going to be completed in Jesus. Here's how it works. Can I break this down for you this morning? I've been wrestling with this. I didn't even make it to Bible class this morning. Just sat, sat in my office working on this, trying to work through my mind. How do I do this? How do I get to where people are right now? How, God, how, how, how do I reach down and talk to people about where we're at in the spirit world and it's manifested in the economy of this city? It's manifested in the lives of these people. How do I do this? Because people are doing anything and everything they can to fill a void until they buy that new house and they're still empty. They get the new car and they're still empty. They get a better paying job and they're still empty. So I want you to understand how this works. You were created in the image of God. You were created to worship Him. And enjoy the glory of God in your life. But your awareness of this, your cognizance of who you were created to be, has been stripped away from you and stolen by the thief from your conscious mind. He wants to do everything he can to attack the minds of God's people. And make you believe that you are less complete in the kingdom of God than you were before you came. Some may say, well, I made more money before I came to the Lord. And you are still incomplete. There are people in this room this morning that can testify to this fact. You may make less than you made before you came to the Lord. But you've got more than you've ever had in your life. I want you to watch the progression of John 10 and 10 with me, if you would, please. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Bishop, truth is, Satan's first move is nothing but simple larceny. It's just a, just a simple, let me just get in and steal. But when he has access to be the thief, to steal, he is never satisfied to just steal. Because once he has accomplished the stealing, the scripture said that once he manages to steal, then he moves in for the kill. 
And once he is there for the kill, he's not satisfied to be sure that you're half dead. He wants to destroy everything that you've got in your life. And it all starts with him being a thief. But I've come this morning for a word with a word for the thief. Somebody on this Sunday morning has come to take it back. Even among those who consider themselves to be, and I use these words loosely, Christians and believers. The enemy uses the same strategy of theft that he does for people that don't even know the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's probably even worse because he doesn't have you. And that's the reason why you fight when you try to give your life to the Lord is because the enemy just lost what he had a hold on. And now that he's lost his grip on you, he's going to fight and do everything that he can to get in as a thief and steal the joy that you just got when you were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, I know I'm preaching right now. I cannot tell you in my life of service and ministry in the kingdom of God How many times I've seen the tragic loss of people in their lives that all they had to do to end up completely lost was to lose their first love. That's it. There was a time in their life when they loved the Lord so much more than they do today. They had this enraged voracious appetite for the things of God their eyes were filled with wonder to please God came up off the floor on a Sunday night in the altar their eyes were just full of wonder what God can do with my life their love for the house of God was enthusiastic you couldn't get them to miss didn't matter if you promised him the best job in the world. They said, oh, no, no. He's been too good to me and he changed my life. It was like their eagerness to share the word of God and the gospel message with somebody overcame them every day of their life. It, it's like it overwhelmed them. Everybody they saw, they had to say something to them. Do I look different to you than I used to? Do I act different? You want to know why I'm so happy? It's because the Lord did something in my life. And it doesn't take very long for the thief to come in and start working on that joy. Well, pastor, I mean, you know, of course, we still love the Lord. We still come to church. The question is, what happened to the passion? What happened to the energy? What happened to the enthusiasm? Jesus addressed this very same issue with the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 2 through 5. He said, I know your deeds and I've watched your hard work. He said, I've seen your perseverance, yet I hold this against you that you have left your first love. In verse number 5, he said, he said, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out 
from his place except you repent. And I don't want to get into the depths of all this, but can I give you a surface understanding that candlestick represents the sevenfold spirit of God, the working of the spirit in the church. It was the oil. It was the anointing. It was the light. And he said, you have lost your first love. And if you don't repent, I'm going to come take the light of the spirit out of the church. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. If we've ever needed the work of the Holy Ghost in the church, we needed in the 21st century church so what happens is we lose the candlestick and then we replace the candlestick with a fake light it's different we still got light so we're happy it doesn't take the oil anymore but we're happy and we replace the work of the Spirit with a program. I was talking to some precious sisters from this church last night. And I went to bed thinking about this. I don't know why anybody would want to remove the working of the Spirit from their church in this day and time that we live in. Why in the world would we want to stop miracle signs and wonders? Why in the world would you want to stop people from expressively lifting their voice, raising their hands, and crying out to God? If we've ever needed a supernatural move of God, we need it right now. Pastor, why are you preaching like this on Sunday morning? Because I'm desperate for a move of God. I'm desperate to see lives transformed. I'm desperate to see people renewed. I'm desperate. And the thief does not want that. What happened to the first love? Satan knows how to steal just the right thing. But what's sad is he steals what he has access to. And he comes in where the flames of revival have been burning bright. And he just reaches in and grabs the hottest coal out of the center of your life. That burning ember of light that can transform a move of God in our church and in your life. And he says, if I can just get that part from their soul, then the fire will eventually go out. And then we come to the place where we're having to live from Sunday to Wednesday and Wednesday to Sunday. And we don't have the hot fire of God burning within us on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. He reaches in and grabs that love for the Word of God. And we used to wake up every morning and open up the Word of God, turn on that audio Bible and let the word reverberate in our minds and our spirits but now we'd rather get 15 more minutes of sleep and get to the job site just on time so that we can be frustrated and let the thief come in through a boss or a co-worker that frustrates our purpose and then we lose our minds and we lose our direction and we say something we feel bad about and then the enemy holds that against us and it crushes our spirit until we finally say I'm not good enough for God so why would I keep going I don't want this to sound ugly. I know there's people here that don't even know me today. But I just want to tell you right now, the devil is a liar. Can I say this with all the kindness in my heart? I don't care what you said at work this week. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The devil is a liar. All we have to do is get distracted by other things. 
And it's not long until the flame goes out. Not long. And honestly, sometimes it happens so subtly, we don't even, we just, we don't even realize it's happening. It's that same constant voice that's in our ear saying, you don't really need to go tonight. You already went this morning. You don't need to go to prayer meeting. It's not important anymore. It's that same person, that same voice, and it's there all the time. And because it's there, it becomes so familiar to us. But the presence of God becomes less and less familiar because we spend more time with that voice than we do with his voice. Woo! God, I've got something in my spirit this morning. We lose our focus. Before you know it, you've been ripped off by the thief. He has absolutely ripped you off. Well, Pastor, you got to remember now, when I came to the Lord, I was a lot younger. I had a lot more energy. And a lot's happened since then. And you know we all mellow out with time. Can I just ask an honest question this morning? Maybe that's just part of my ministry. I'll ask things that others won't. Does anybody really believe that? Does anybody? Does anybody really believe that just because we get a little bit older, he gets less sweet? I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying you can run the aisles like you used to. But I'm just saying you tapping your foot does as much damage to him as it did when you used to could run the aisle. You don't realize what a threat you are to the thief when you come in and say, I may not be able to do what I used to do, but I'm going to do everything that I can do. My God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. Somebody say changed. Into the same image from glory to glory even as the spirit, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Another version says it like this, that we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. In other words, from glory to glory means it gets better Every day. The, oh God. The glory of the former shall be greater than that of the latter. It is an ever increasing. He said you're being transformed for God to be better to you tomorrow than he was to you today. And for God to be better to you at the end of your life than he was at the beginning of your life. Pastor, I don't have much to offer the Lord anymore. I just, I just don't have much to offer the Lord. I'm reaching for somebody today to let you know you are so valuable to God. Listen to pastor. Listen to my heart today. Hear me when I tell you there is no end to the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. The scripture teaches us nowhere of a retirement plan where you wash your hands of the goodness of God and God washes his hands of you. If I believe anything today, I believe he gets sweeter as the days go by. I I believe every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. So if it's not just because I'm aging, then pastor, what is it? I'm going to tell you, there's no point in conning ourselves. 
It has nothing to do with getting spiritually mature and growing up to the place where we're polished professional Pentecostals anymore. Let's just be honest. We got ripped off. (laughs) We got ripped off. That joker walked in and we didn't even know it. Bound a strong man in our house. And in the middle of the night, sowed a little bit of good seed, a little bit of tear with the good seed. And after a while, some things started growing up. But I'm reaching for somebody this morning to tell you. Better days are ahead of you, sweetheart. Well, I've lived my life, all my life without the Lord. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I don't care how old you are today. God has a plan for your life. It doesn't matter if you've never lived for the Lord. And today is the first day. It'll be the greatest day of your life. I'm going to be bold enough to say this. If you leave here today without repenting of your sins, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin and being filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, you've been ripped off. Another way that it shows up is not just with the fading of the first love, but it can be with the fading of a calling. I'm telling you, I'm reaching for somebody in the Holy Ghost this morning. What about that unique calling that God put on your life? The fingerprint of God that's unique in every way. You are so unique to God. You started with a gifting and a desire to serve others in the kingdom of God. Five or ten years ago, maybe as recent as six months or six weeks ago, there was a stirring inside of you. You'd wake up in the night with dreams about what God wanted to do in your life and in your family and in your friends Maybe it was to teach children, be a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was to someday sing the choir. Maybe it was to be a prayer warrior, to intercede for others and stand in the gap for people that are in need. Maybe the Holy Ghost even moved so deeply on your heart that there was a pull to a mission field. But over time, that reality fell further and further away. And because you couldn't have what you wanted today, and we don't understand how anointing truly works. And because you were anointed at 15 on a hillside watching your father's sheep, and you didn't sit on the throne of Judah at 15 years old, maybe you ought to just throw your hands up and give up. But David, you need to know that your anointing has not failed you because God's timing has not come to pass. So is your anointing worthless in me because I'm not on a throne? No, it's more powerful in you than it's ever been because I'm molding you and shaping you and forming your character and making you into what I need you to be as a king. You'll never succeed as a king dancing in the throne room until you learn to dance in my throne room in the middle of a grassy field with sheep dung all over the field. You've got to learn to grow in me. Something was birthed in a powerful moment of prayer. A powerful service like we feel right now with conviction gripping our heart. But then we got discouraged. Somebody let you down. Something went sour in your idea of the church. Oh God. You tried once or twice and somebody criticized you. Soon the dream was gone. You quit trying. You quit believing. Then you questioned and wondered, and the calling you had wasn't even real. So now forget it. 
I didn't really hear from God. It's amazing how we'll question that voice. But not the one of the thief that's telling you it's not real. All the inspiration that you felt is gone. And that is the problem with living for God based on inspiration and not conviction. When the inspiration fades and it's a real day, conviction's still in your spirit. When you're living a life of separation from this world because you were inspired by a, a sweet talking preacher, then when real trouble comes in your life and real criticism comes in your life, you'll lay all that down because you're not really convicted. It's just what the church taught. Woo! Can I preach to you as real on this Sunday morning as I've ever preached to you? Please listen to my heart. I know you're hearing my voice, but this is coming from the abundance of my heart, okay? Don't let the enemy rob you this morning. Don't let the enemy rob you of your faith. Don't let the enemy rob you of your victory. Don't, 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 don't you dare give the enemy access to your first love. Don't you give him access to your calling. I want to tell you that your anointing is as powerful as it's ever been. Here's the way it works. He's always trying to rob us of something that God has blessed us with. I feel like my father-in-law right now. I just want to throw my hand up. Well, it's the truth anyway. He's wanting to steal something that God blessed you with. Why does he want it? Because he didn't have the power to bless you with it. The only power he has is to rob you of the good things that God has given you. Because he can't give you good things. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here this morning. When he succeeds and the thief comes in. Our minds start to change. It used to be on the church, kingdom, God. Seek first. Now it's not. Well, I don't know if I'll make enough for that. I don't know. I don't know if I've got to give up this house. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And it occupies our minds and our attention 24 hours a day. The callings of God fade into materialistic things and ideas. And we find ourselves so incomplete. Yet telling ourselves every day we're happier than we've ever been. My God, I'm preaching for somebody. I'm reaching for you today. And then he comes as a thief in the night. And he invades our homes. I don't want this to be discouraging to you. I want it to encourage us. But I read recently, I don't know how many of you are familiar or ever read, if you read any Christian leadership or anything, you'll hear the name George Barna a lot. Barna is a surveying company, George Barna. The Barna Group did surveys, and this is what they said. Like, seriously, this is, this is unbelievable. That as far as God-fearing Christian people, this is not specifically Pentecost. This is Christendom as a whole. The George Barnett group showed that the divorce rate among church goers is just about equal with the population at large.
Can I be like brutally real right now? I think if I was an atheist or an agnostic, I'd just be like, look, if he's so wonderful, why can't he keep you together? Can I tell you right now why marriages fail in the church? I can tell you why they don't. Maybe you did get married before you should have got married. Maybe so. Maybe you shouldn't have got married in the first place. Maybe you were raised in a dysfunctional family. Maybe. Had bad role models. Maybe. But I'm going to say a big fat no. A thousand times no. The reason why marriages are failing in the body of Christ is because the thief comes to steal. It's not because of your past. It's because he steals your future. The only reason that marriage is going to fail is when he steals your want to. I'm going to say something this morning. My wife's sitting on this front row. We're okay, right? All is good. No problems. We hadn't fussed. I don't even think we've had a good fight in a while. Lord Jesus, don't let it happen. I like making up better than I like fighting. But I want to say something today, and I don't want you to worry. I'm not saying this because I want you to worry. I'm being honest with you. Satan fully intends to destroy your pastor's marriage. Just be, I'm being honest with you. He hates me, and he hates my wife. He hates our 20 years of service in the ministry. We're okay. We're not struggling. We're not fighting at all. There's no problems with us. Nobody's in trouble. But I want to tell you, his intention is, Bishop, he wants my marriage to fail. He hates us. He hates us. He wants your marriage to fail because he hates you. And he makes you believe that it's better somewhere else. And he makes you believe that there's greener grass somewhere else. No, no, no. When he steals the want to, you've been ripped off. And so we deny the reality of our true issues. It's the thief. And he's got access to things that we open the door to. And then we say it's because of how somebody was raised. No. Let's not deny reality. That's not really a true part of being a godly person and true Christian living. We need to deal with the reality of what's going on in our families and in our homes and in our churches and in Christendom as a whole. There is a thief at large and he's doing everything he can to destroy the body of Christ. Oh my God. Can we just raise our hands to the Lord right now? Father, I need you to help us this morning. I feel you've spoken to my heart. At the core, 
of all the losses that I've mentioned to you this morning. Is everybody doing okay? There is the silent theft of the most crucial element in our spiritual walk. And I need you to hear me very closely this morning. I want to get down and minister to where you're living right now. That is that the thief wants to steal our faith. I know I'm in the Holy Ghost this morning. (laughs) What faith, Pastor? I'm talking about your total dependence upon God. That becomes supernatural and it's working. That when you look back, you don't know how you made it. But you refused to quit. I want to tell you this morning that people of faith, I'm not saying people that say they have faith. I'm saying people of true faith. They have a second kind of sight. It's not real. It's not like, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's a second kind of sight. They see more than just the circumstances. They see God. And they see God standing right beside them. Can they prove it? No. But by faith, they know that he's there nonetheless. And they're willing to go to their grave saying, when I don't see him working, he's working. And when I don't see his hand, it's still there. And by faith, I know that he's with me. And he's greater than what I'm facing. Peter, Satan hath desired you. That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. That your faith. Fail thee not. Why? Does the thief want your faith? I'm fixing to preach to you right here. I'm fixing to, I'm telling y'all. I'm fixing to preach to you right here. Why does he want your faith? Hebrews eleven six Without faith. It is. Impossible. Please God. If I can if I can thieve and steal their faith, they will never please God. Nothing else counts if your faith is missing. Nothing else counts if your faith is missing. There is no other foundation for serving God than the faith by which we stand. There is nothing that touches the heart of the Father like total and wholehearted dependence on Him that nothing else matters if we don't please Him. And I'm not going to stop serving you if that don't work out. And I'm not going to stop serving you if she don't come back. And I'm not going to stop serving... And I'm not going to quit praying if you don't answer my prayer. And I'm not going to quit coming if they don't apologize. (laughs) Quickly closing. There's a story about King David Bishop. It's kind of really kind of an obscure story in the Old Testament. 
I don't know why it doesn't get very much attention, but it doesn't. But it happens at a place called Ziklag. And when Bishop walked in the office today, I was trying to figure out how to pull this right here together. I don't, but there's something about this story that somebody needs to know here today. So King David is at one of the lowest points in the roller coaster of his life. Can y'all, can y'all stay with me for just about three or four minutes right here? I'm fixing to tell you something that's going to change your life. I promise to God Almighty, you're going to leave here changed if you don't let the thief steal this. The young conqueror. The giant slayer. <laughs> like the greatest king of all time is on a roller coaster of destiny. And he's not running anymore from a Goliath. He's running from Saul. Like the one that supposedly loved him. He used to serve, used to play music for him. Like his best friend is his king's son. So many threats. So many close calls. Tried to Pan him to the wall with a javelin. Like, this is critical. It's a bad place. It's gotten so bad now that your Bible says David went and lived among the Philistines. How bad does it have to be for you to be willing to live among the Philistines when you killed their champion? This means that a wound in the house of your brethren sometimes is more difficult to deal with than a wound from an enemy. Oh, God, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to somebody as sure as I'm breathing right here. So the scripture tells us that David had, and I'm going to try to fast forward and, and be sure you get this, that he had his own little militia of about 600 men, their wives and their children, and they set up camp at a place called Ziklag, okay? And so the Philistines decide, now this is, this is insane, the Philistines decide that they're going to go to war against Israel. And so David... He's a fighter. He's a warrior. So he lines himself up with King Achish, the king of the Philistines. And he says, I'm going to go to war with Achish against the children of Israel. And one of the generals of the Philistine army spots him and goes to King Achish. And he says, what in the world does David think he's doing? And Achish says, what do you mean? He said, King, listen. This is the famous son-in-law of Saul that slayed Goliath. No way in the world is that dude going on a campaign with us. And Achish tries in your Bible to somehow defend the loyalty of David, but he gets nowhere because his generals speak up and say, you remember the song after he slays Goliath that Saul has slain his thousands David, his ten thousands. Well, King, what you need to know is that some of those ten thousands were us. Y'all still with me? He's not going with us. So David and his militia of 600 men are sent back home to Ziklag. And when they come close, read the story in your Bible, they start seeing the smoke of its burning. They begin a fast trot soon to discover one of the most dreadful things that they could have ever imagined when they, oh God, when they get to Ziklag. Every wife, 
Every son, every daughter, everything they own, it's gone. They've been captured by a roving band of marauders. Somebody say a thief. While they were doing what they thought was the right thing, a thief came in. Stole their wives and their children and burned down Ziklag to the ground. Surely, oh God, I sat in my office this morning trying to figure out a way to somehow convey to you what could have possibly been going through their mind. You could imagine these 600 men as they threw their head back, tears dripping off their chin, as one of them began to scream, my wife! Another began to lift his voice and said, my babies. She was only 14. So beautiful. Just becoming a woman. And now, some ravished man has taken my daughter. There's no telling what kind of beast has my child and what they're doing to my children. And their heart broken and they cry so hard that they run out of tears. And it affects everybody because even David and his family is gone. And everything that he has is lost. So, what happens? It's the age-old trick, and y'all stay with me right here because i got to flow in the Holy Ghost. David's men turn against David. They cannot bear the pain of what's transpired in their lives, so they attack the authority in their life. Start asking questions like, what were we doing out there anyway? What business did we have joined the Philistine army? We should have been with our families. And your Bible said that they worked it up in their hearts and said, let's stone David. We should have been with our families. Let's kill him. And then comes one of the most wonderful phrases that I've ever found in Scripture from a man who felt defeated. 1 Samuel 30 and 6 David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters hurt people, hurt people. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. As the bottom was falling out of his life, David found a quiet place to pray and to gather himself and to call on the name of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord fell in that place. And David began to feel the spirit of the Lord come over him. And he said, I know that a thief has done this. And I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. I want to tell you this morning that no matter how low you get. And no matter what collapses around you. And no matter who rejects you. No matter who slanders you. God is able to encourage you. He will get you through. He will strengthen you in the depths of your soul. He will strengthen you in the depths of your heart. God will strengthen you in a place that nobody else can touch. So David gets back to his cool ways. Gets his spiritual equilibrium. And I'm closing 
And now he goes to Abiathar the priest. When he goes to Abiathar the priest as Ahimelech's son, I wish I had time to talk about all this. He starts a discussion with him, a consultation with the man of God. What would God have me to do? One thing that's certain about David in the scriptures, whenever he was walking in the grace of God and doing what he was supposed to do, he never just shot from the hip, ever. He knew that he first had to seek the Lord. This is the right place for anybody that's uncertain about your next move. Inquire of the Lord and talk to the man of God. What should I do? Where should I go? What, 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 what do I need to do? Will somebody please pray with me? 30 and 7 and 8. And David said to Abiathar the priest to him, son, I pray thee, bring me thither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered and said, Pursue, for thou shalt overtake them and without fail recover all. God said, Yes. Go after what the thief has taken and you will recover. God. Woo, God. I'm almost there, but you got to stay with me. That's not the end of the story. You can stand if you want to be seated, whatever you want. God said, go get after it. You're going to recover everything. So they take off, and they're going quickly. I'm going to go as fast as I can. They're riding across the desert, and they come up on a half-conscious Egyptian man. And they talk to this Egyptian man. And they try to revive him, and he said, I've got, I, I, I got to tell you, I, 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 was, I was with them. I was with them when they came to pillage at Ziklag. Oh, God. He said, I was numbered with the Amalekites when they came. And so they asked him the question. They said, well, how would you like to join us and live or die? You just pick. And he didn't have to think very long. He said, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think we can work this out. And so he agrees to guide David and his 600 men. As they came across the crest of a hill. There was a loud party going on. Read your Bible. It says basically that drunken debauchery was the act of the day. And they could hear the party and the drunken stupor and all that was going on. And the Bible said that for the next 24 hours, a full day, for 24 hours, all night and all day the next day, that they hit the Amalekites with all they had. And David learned an invaluable truth in that moment. God recovers stolen property. Everything the enemy has taken, you shall recover. You shall recover. You shall recover. Listen to how the scripture describes the scene. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread upon all the earth, eating, drinking, dancing, because of the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines, out of the land of Judah. But David smote them from twilight even to evening the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode on camels and fled. And David recovered 
all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken from them. David recovered. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. They were shouting and they were praising God because here's the rest of the story. They didn't just come back with what the enemy took. They they came back with more than they had lost. Everything the enemy took when David walked in with his 600 men, they got back everything they took and everything the Amalekites left. Am I telling this obscure Old Testament story? Because David and his men got to a moment that they chose to go after what was stolen from them. You just remember this this morning. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And your enemy has no feelings of sympathy. If you don't resist, he'll rip you off every day of your life. It's his diabolical work. It's what he does every day of his life. Do his best. Ryan, he hates your guts. He'll do everything he can to rip you off. We know why the thief came. Steal, to kill, to destroy. But I have come that they might have life. When are we going to get the picture that God's plan for your life is the antithesis, the exact opposite of what the enemy has planned for you? So for all of you that the enemy has told you it's over, let me speak a word to you. God's not finished. For all of you that he's told you you're done and he's going to kill you, let me speak life into you today. For those of you that he said it's dead and it's over, I breathe the life of the Holy Ghost into this room right now. And I pray that the angels of God would begin to walk up and down the aisles of this church and to minister to men and women alike. I pray right now for those of you that thought your dream was dead. And I speak to that dream this morning. I command it to come alive in you. I'm telling you that the thief doesn't have the power to take it. You will recover.